fans there we go that's it that's the enthusiasm we need after this season how the hell are you <laughs> it's your boy jonathan macri with you for another episode of the next film school podcast here with uh my partner in crime now always and forever uh jeffrey balone jeff how you doing man i'm doing good we're Instead of watching the nets in the playoffs we said we got to record a, a pod and talk about the knicks this is our Silent rebellion against the against what they have going on in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, no, you know it's funny. I feel bad, like I, you know, I definitely will troll them sometimes. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the media, the NBA, you know, everyone wants to kind of shove down New York's throat, like the Knicks and the Nets are rivalry. When, you know, really we're we're not. I don't think yet because you know well, they they've never have... they've never been really good at the same time, uh, right? Yeah. Exactly. So it, it's just more from the basketball standpoint we're not, but um, you know, part of me is like, all right, yeah, the Nets are good right now. The Knicks we're hoping can turn things around. So you know, if we're not on our kind of team based accounts having fun with each other, you know, that that's kind of what starts with the rivalry. So I go back and forth of you know, let the Nets have their moment versus. Well, let's have a little fun with this thing. Let's make it a little bit of a rivalry. Yeah, no, and and I think it sh- it should be fun. I think it is in good fun. Um, and I know we <laughs> we just said off air we're not going to talk about it uh, tonight because we I don't, I don't want to spoil it. But we have a guest coming on, I guess, um, within the next couple weeks who will be able to to discuss this in a little bit more detail. And I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. But it's just like everything with the, everything going on with the Nets. And like all the stories written about them versus the stories written or or I guess not written about the Knicks, it's just it's interesting for me because it it's at the intersection of the two things that I find um probably most interesting um when I think about uh basketball and covering the sport, which is media coverage and culture. And like I, I think there's def- like how those like I, I don't know what I don't know what culture. I still don't know what culture is. Um, you read, we read about it all the time. I still, you know, if culture walked in my house right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what he looked like. Um, and then, like, you get a certain type of media coverage. I, I don't know. There's so much there to unpack, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a week. But I just, yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, anyway, so uh, there was some Knicks news this week. Um, Steve and, and Scott went on the Michael K show. I think we should probably start there. Uh, what did you, I don't know, what did you find, did you find anything interesting about their interview with, with the guys? Well, I mean, I think, uh, and you had said this this morning in our newsletter, shameless plug, um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're definitely on message to kind of use a, I guess, political uh, word in the sense of, you know, from last summer, you know, heading into this season and all of the preseason media availability and throughout the season, you know, they've been saying the same thing over and over and over about, you know, sticking to their plan, being committed to developing the young players, only, you know, using their cap space if it's for the right player, not 
you know, overspending on a player that, um, you know, doesn't deserve that max slot. So I think they've been consistent. But, you know, what was different to me than what they've talked about openly in the past was the idea of trading into space. Yeah. So I think, you know, they've said a lot, obviously, like, oh, we're going to be in a position to have two max slots. But they haven't really openly said the actual words. Well, we realize if you have max space, you can use that to both sign a player or trade for a player. They haven't said those words. And yesterday, yesterday that was the first time I heard them talk like that, where, you know, I think the reason they're so confident in saying they're not going to overpay for the wrong free agent is because if they miss on Durant or Kyrie, I think their plan is, well, we'll just wait till the next disgruntled superstar comes along. And again, this is um, jumping off what you wrote this morning. And then we'll just be able to trade for him. Yeah. And I I, I just, and the reason I wrote it is because, well, there really does seem to be already this, this narrative setting up of the Knicks have this golden opportunity here. And if they fail to, essentially it's coming down to Durant, right? If they fail to land Durant, this will be seen as the most spectacular failure you know, of all time, which then gets into questions about opportunity cost and was there really an opportunity cost with the Porzingis trade or was that trade that was that a trade that they should have made regardless of anything else? Um, you know, cap space implications and and we could talk about about that, I guess, a little bit if we want to, but it's I don't know. We've we've kind of hashed that out already. But I guess the point is that in 2010. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a very clear message that, like, we are gearing up to spend this money this summer. Like, we, th- like, that, 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 this money that, like, the flexibility, that, like, they never use, Donnie Walsh never used the term flexibility. He's like, we are going to put ourselves in a position to be players this summer. Wasn't that the thing? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think the, di- yeah, the biggest difference really was, I guess what I'm pausing about is it's less to me the words and it's more because that's what this all comes down to, right? Like any organization, as we talk about culture and how organizations are run, any business or organization is going to have a PR staff (laughs) and their job is going to be to come up with what is the best way we can kind of sell the plan or sell the future um, you know, to our customers. So to me, it's like, if you're not doing that, you're just not doing like basic business practice. But as, you know, analysts or fans, you can look at a business or the Knicks and you could say, all right, but, you know, do they have reason beyond just the words to to feel like um, they can hedge that risk? Yes. And I think that's what's different this year versus in 2010 is that they can hedge the risk with the other assets they have in terms of young players future draft picks and not just future draft picks meaning they finally kept their own but future picks meaning they have extra picks you know out of the Przingis trade so to me that's that's really the big difference this this isn't literally it's all Durant or nothing because if they don't get them they have nothing else it's all him or nothing just because that is such a big prize, but they definitely have a lot to work with if they don't get him to try to do other things. Yeah, that's so that has changed a hundred percent. There's there's way more here than there was then. Um, 
the the part that I talked about in the newsletter today, which is basically like if you go through the who's who of of the NBA right now, um, it's a list of guys who have either changed teams, uh, who have made demands to change teams, um, you know, who there's speculation about changing teams. Uh, it's like the NBA that we grew up with, where it was like. It's uh, Patrick Ewing and the Knicks. It's Carl and John and the Jazz. It's Jordan and the Bulls. It's, I mean, Barkley was like the one guy who, you know, changed teams um, mid-career. But like, you know, Drexler was with the Blazers for the entirety of his, his prime. Hakeem was with the Rockets. David Robinson was with the Spurs. It's like, that's what it was. And then that like started to change, I guess, with like Shaq, right? Going over to right. LA and, and there were examples here and there of big time players switching teams over the course of like I guess the the couple of decades from the 90s until now but I feel like over the past three or four years we've hit this new it's I I feel like people aren't fully recognized I guess that's what was annoying me people aren't fully recognizing the fact that the flex, and that's why I appreciated Steve Mills using the word in the interview, and he's used this word all season long, the word flexibility. I don't think that's a buzzword that the Knicks PR staff fed him. I mean, maybe they did, but I think it's essentially it's the perfect representation of why they're in such an advantageous position. Because it's it, it really is, it's not a matter of if one of these star players is going to you know, be like, all right, I'm ready to change teams now. Um, and we could tie this into like, is this a millennial thing where it's like people are just like not happy in their in their own skin and they feel like they need to change, whatever it is. This is the reality we live in. Um, and, and oh, and the other part of it that I want to also drive home is it can't be under, it can't be overstated, I guess, enough that the last, um, I guess, four instances of these like player trade demands, right? have been Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving. I feel like I'm missing one. Um, and, oh, and Kawhi Leonard, right? Right, yep. And yep. all four of those guys, when the when the quote-unquote trade demand came to light, what's the one team that they all had in common on their, <laughs> on their quote-unquote list is the Knicks. Now, I'm, you know, there will be naysayers who'll be like, well, they use that for leverage or they use it for whatever. Right which, in, I, I, right, which in the past there was part of that, but it definitely feels different, you know, this time around. Yeah, you know, so when you put all that together, I guess the, the part the part of me that's changed now, um, I was worried um, heading up to this summer, and I've said this to you on, on the pod many times in, in private, I was worried that that they were going to do the thing that basically Steve Mills came out and said yesterday that they weren't going to do. They're not going to sign the wrong guys to to big money contracts. My worry now is the if they don't get Durant, and we should touch on that in a second. I like the narrative is going to be. I mean, it's going to be hellacious, right? Like we, we getting back to this culture conversation. You want to talk about needing a strong culture to withstand certain things. If they don't get Durant, that's going to be. That's going to be rough, don't you think, in terms of like the the narrative surrounding it? Well, we know there's certain writers that they already <laughs> have the draft saved in their content management systems, right? <laughs> that um I mean, Isola literally has it already written and it and it's saved there for when, you know, if that happens. Um but the thing that I think helps the team this time around is 
you know, there are times when teams act confident that they can, you know, get a player, but it's really only coming from internal to the team. I mean, this is literally like everyone around the entire league, every clued in reporter, people who don't even like the Knicks, including Howard Beck himself, has said multiple times that every single thing they are hearing says that Durant is coming to the Knicks. So therefore, if you're going to, you know, get on the Knicks, you're going to get on them because you're going to say, you know, they made all these moves uh, to to sign him and then they didn't. So that's a failure. But when you write that story, the part I think what you're alluding to that we'll be annoyed about is that, you know, the Knicks are taking a risk that based on the information presented to them, it seems like a worthwhile risk to take. And there's no business that you succeed at without taking a risk. So do you want the Knicks to just play conservative and, and not go for the risk? I mean, I guess, I don't know if you know you watch the, if you ever watch a show Billions, but... Um, I really need to watch that. I, like, everybody says it's a show that I would love. It's, it's... Yeah, no, I, I think so. I've, I've actually was late to it, and I've been watching it recently, and there's, there's always this, because, you know, it's about basically like a hedge fund and insider trading, and there's... Um, you know, there's this kind of reoccurring theme where the the lead uh, Axe Capital uh, character, whenever he's trying to decide on making a risky trade, he's really trying to see if some, some of his analysts have inside information. And the way they'll tell him that is they'll say to him, I am not uncertain. That's what they always say. <laughs> and to me, that's sort of where the Knicks are right now, where it's like, you know, in in the walls of Madison Square Garden, when they're deciding, you know, how do they position their cap space and what do they do? It just seems to me that there's people throughout the league, including maybe even those very, very close to Kevin Durant, who are saying, I am not uncertain that this is going to happen. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I think they're doing what they're doing. But um, but yeah, I agree. They're, they're the narrative against it, if they strike out, is going to be, you know, they traded Porzingis, uh, they stretched Noah, they did all these things, and nobody's going to wait and see, well, what else do they do with that extra cap space that those moves gave them, and do do those moves provide them more value than if they didn't stretch Noah and if they didn't trade Porzingis? Obviously, if you're not getting Durant, it's maybe harder to to create that value but you know you that that's all fair to be part of the equation you can't just ignore that and call it a failure at that moment in time you have to at least wait a little bit and see what else they do yeah and i guess the two things that i keep coming back to is like everybody is like we you know we hear all kinds of different things we hear durant has already decided durant has already you know told them we hear durant has told them i mean at least i feel like i've heard durant has told them that um i will come if if i can if somebody will come with me, um, we're hearing all these types of things. I want to even just take a step back and let's assume that all they've heard is what we've heard. Like that their information is no better than the information that literally me and you sitting here and any other Knicks fan can read by looking up, you know, different things on Twitter. Even if that's the case and that's the only information they have. I my feeling is it would be grossly irresponsible for them not to have gone into this summer cuz exactly like you just said it's all about I mean essentially risk assessment right and if they're hearing exactly what we're hearing 
how in God's name, like, what were you, what were they supposed to go go into this summer and be like, well, we're hearing a lot of this stuff, but you know what, we can't be certain of it. No, because so, what would be written on the other side of it is the same exact people. Oh, oh, the, the, and we'll the, pick on Isola would be writing. If the Knicks were not so incompetent in managing their cap space, the whole league knows Durant wants to come. But because the Knicks are so incompetent, yes. they didn't manage their cap space and now they can't sign and, them. So it would be written both ways. And can I write the second half of that story? And I, I said I didn't want to get into the Porzingis thing and I don't want to get into it. But just the the second half of that story would be... And what did they what did they jeopardize their cap space for? They did it to try to hold on to a guy who made very clear in no uncertain terms that he did not want to be here and now that the, now they are stuck in like a stalemate where you know and and look we have no idea how the the Porzingis like restricted free agency thing would have played out but if we go back to the fact that it was a player who ultimately just was not sold and and I I've I've talked we I think both have talked to people kind of offline about things, you know, heard and, and not heard and like how much of it is messaging coming out of MSG and how much of it isn't. Um, no one has said that he wanted to be there. Like that that's not a claim that was ever, ever made. And I think that much was clear. So I just think they would have been setting themselves up for your classic, you know, LOL Knicks um, failure. And they, you know, they got out from under it, and, and now they have this opportunity with this cap space, which, again, it gets back to the original point of still, even if you don't um, if you don't use it, you know, in the first two weeks of July, it's not the end of the world. So yeah, they, and one thing just yeah. to, to add to the, to connect kind of Durant and Przingis that's interesting is, and even our, you know, what we started off talking about with, you know, this nebulous culture concept is that, because the NBA is so contingent on a few players making um, decisions, mm-hmm. it really kind of skews like how you're able to take these like broad sweeping, um, you know, judgments about an organization. Because one decision by one human being can kind of throw the whole thing on its head. And when it, if you know, if there's people who doubt with Porzingis, well, you know, did, did he really want out of New York? Is that just kind of the Knicks trying to sell that? I mean, Kevin Durant, if he leaves Golden State, even if it's not for the Knicks, but let's just say it is. I mean, he's literally leaving an historic dynasty, If you know, especially if they win again this year. If he were to leave that to go to a team that we can all agree has been very unsuccessful <laughs> as a franchise, right? Yeah. Then why why would we believe that Kristaps Porzingis wouldn't have wanted to leave the Knicks? You see what I'm saying? It's almost like on the one hand we're saying we're blaming the Knicks for not being able to keep Porzingis. Yeah. But then it's like Golden State, who is the crown jewel of culture and winning and everything, they might not be able to keep their guy. And it just reminds you that it's because you know, those things are nice to write about. And as people, we want to give reason to what we're seeing. But when it comes down to a person making a decision about where they work, where they live, a lot of times it goes beyond the control of, you know, culture, these other things. Those can be factors, definitely. Well, but but that, it doesn't that get into the heart of, again, what I was talking about before, this is the new NBA. And I think 
while while every um, organization should still be um, on the lookout for that Tim Duncan or Dirk Nowitzki or Steph Curry, that you know, literal. It's not just the it's not just the superstar. It's the once in a I don't know five or ten years superstar that not only is that are they a superstar good enough to be the best player on a championship team, but that level of player who is also not going to be the guy like basically every other one of these guys who in this day and age, again, like they just don't want to stay in one place for very long. Um, regardless of, as you just pointed out, how great your culture is or how great your, you know, your, how many how laughs there are in the locker room, whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, yeah, by the way, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually asked you this in, in private or on the pod. Do you, do you think Durant has already made up his mind? I think that it's very possible that he has a strong feeling about what he wants to do. And that's why there's all this, you know, uh, whispers out there. But I think like any of us, when we make a big decision, I'm sure he's the same way where he realizes that things can change between now and when he actually has to make it, you know? So, um, you know, like I always bring it back to just think of, about decisions we all make in our life. Like even for me, right? Like the, you know, the time I was a, away from the account for a while is because we were, you know, planning on moving and picking a new house. And it's like, yeah, there's a long period where you said, okay, this is the house that we're going to buy. We're fairly certain about it. We're telling our friends, we're telling our family. So if I was in the NBA, they would all be telling people and that's how it all leaks out. Right. But you know, there still definitely was some percentage that I knew in my head that I could change my mind or my wife could change her mind. Totally. So that's how I feel like it is with him. I think he has a strong idea of what he wants to do, but I think, you know, he, it doesn't mean like he's made up his mind to the extent that nothing could change it. That That's, that's how I imagine it is. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, so, okay. Um, what was the other oh the other big news um, of this week uh, we should we should get to which I think actually kind of ties in a little bit to all of this because you know one of the there have been it's, it, this is so interesting to me one of the big knocks on the Knicks for for many many years has been um, this thing that they don't um, they're not connected to their past. And while, while they have not been in certain select areas, this isn't an organization that has like, um, you know, pushed away, you know, everybody that's ever came through there. I mean, they've, you know, several former players have jobs with the organization. We see former players there all the time. I just think it's gotten a lot of, um, uh, it's been in the news a lot because of the players that have been on the outside looking in. And the two notable ones are, I think, Ewing and Oakley, um, and now one of them seems to be back in the fold. And I, um, I, I'm sure you listened to the the Howard Beck, uh, Ian Bagley, uh, Chris Mannix uh, discussion that touched yep. on this. Yeah, and they basically turned it into uh, a negative, uh, which is like, I th- did. What did they say that he should she, he should have been insulted or something? Like, why would he? Why would he? Yeah, have taken I can't. This? I I remember them more kind of picking on more of the Durant side than the Ewing side, but they picked on you know, this too because you know. Whatever. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think yeah, the the criticism has kind of been like, 
oh, you know, they offered him the, to be the coach of the D League, uh, which was, you know, Ewing took as an insult. And now, you know, this is your way of throwing him a bone. But, you know, I think what what has changed is that there's there was a period, especially like when Isaiah was here, that, you know, a lot of the criticism towards the team, you know, I think the fans were pretty much fully on board with, right? And I think what, what has changed is that there has been subtle signs of the team doing things differently than they have in the past. And a lot of the media members aren't, it's not enough for them to say, okay, I think there is a change. So, you know, the with Ewing, I mean, he has sat at games with James Dolan. Um, when Remember that whole ice bucket challenge that everyone was doing for a while? Yeah, sure. Um, when he, when Ewing did his ice bucket challenge, he challenged James Dolan. Um, he, if you actually look back since he was upset about not getting an interview with the team, which he's a prideful person, like that's just how it's going to be. There actually has been a lot of instances where he has, um, you know, been friendly with the Knicks, including Oakley himself being very upset that Ewing didn't come to his defense when the whole uh, altercation happened, you know, that that led to uh, Oakley being banned. Um, So, you know, Ewing decided at that point to stay quiet, essentially siding with Dolan. So really, if you look over, this is now several years, there's been several cases of Ewing sitting with Dolan, playful with him, an ice bucket challenge, deciding not to defend his teammate Oakley, um, where he's been, there really hasn't been this big problem. But you wouldn't know that really because the only thing that's ever brought up by the media is, well, the Knicks didn't offer him a coaching job. Which, let's face it, I mean, has how many you know, how many other they, NBA teams um, have offered Patrick Ewing a head coaching job? I mean, yeah, it's like I mean, we we, we see St. John's right now what they're going through where they gave a legend, uh, you know, a coaching job. It didn't exactly you know work out. And if we're calling the organization dysfunctional now we're going to say like nepotism is the way to get out of that like it just <laughs> it doesn't really make sense so um i never bought i never bought that narrative either just and and this is maybe i i don't expect anybody else to agree with me on this and it's i have i can't say i could point to any evidence for this for this opinion patrick ewing just never uh, gonna have egg on my face if I ever like meet him and uh, I'm thinking about me saying this in the back of my head um he never struck me as a like I don't know he never struck me as an NBA head coach I I don't know how else to say it um he he seems like he'd be a great assistant but just like I have I don't know I have like a certain image in my mind of an NBA head coach and he's just more he just strikes me as a little bit more um I guess laid back is in terms of his demeanor and how he kind of goes about things i i could be completely in the minority on this that's just always the perception that i've had um but yeah for for what it's worth yeah no i mean and i i guess the other thing too is with timing i think we've seen guys like jerry stackhouse or you know players uh players who turn into coaches willing to go through the d league i also think for someone like ewing um you know, he he probably doesn't view that league the same way that younger uh, people do, right? Because agree. it's it's only something that recently has been kind of accepted as more of a legitimate thing. Yeah. Um. So you know, yeah, the whole concept of kind of yeah, you got to go through the ranks. You're not just handed something. 
um, you know, for if you were an organization like the Spurs and you suggested that, people would be saying, yeah, like because the Spurs do it right. They don't just hand a former player a job. <laughs> they say, hey, we'll give you a chance, but just you got to start at the bottom like everyone else. They would they would be champion for that. But if the Knicks do it, you know, it's a big joke. Yeah. Um, well, in regardless, it's uh, I think it'll be. It'll be nice to have him up there, regardless of of what pick they end up with. Um, and and kudos, by the way, during that um, little kick the Knicks uh, session that was on the Mannix pod, Ian Bagley did speak up and was like, to their credit, um, all year David Fisdale has made an effort to bring in former Knicks back into the fold. Um, you know, which again gets back into. <laughs> How, how will we know if the Knicks culture is truly changing um, if nobody's going to write about it? Um, but we'll, we'll save that for another day. Um, <laughs> you know, no, but I got to ask you, actually, that's kind of funny because sure. you know, today was obviously a big uh, you know, day for, you know, I, I guess, real reasons and politics and whatnot with, um, you know, with the redacted or less redacted uh, report on yes. Trump uh, coming out. Um do you I think it's kind of funny because, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll I'll even talk about this with some of the beat writers. It's like there is that same concept that you see in politics that unfolds with sports where, you know, you have in politics, it's there's clear lines. There's, you know, the left versus the right. And there's certain publications, you know, there's Fox News versus MSNBC. And, you, you know, you want to. You, I kind of go to each one just to see how each one is kind of spinning the story. And then, you know, you try to come up with, with your own view. But, you know, it is funny. I do sometimes think to myself, obviously, we're known to be more optimistic. But, you know, I think with with, with Dolan, more people would kind of say he represents like a Trump-like figure. But I feel like, you know, the Knicks are almost, you know, in this equation, like, you know, to me, like the Democrats, kind of the party that like they're still – they're you know, under this kind of Trump rule, but um, they kind of get the team kind of gets thrown into it all because of him. And, you know, it's like, you know, there's the MSNBC versus the Fox. It's just kind of funny to me how, you know, even in sports, all these stories can kind of be split. And I know, especially reporters, they don't want to ever admit that because they want to say, no, 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 we're, we're 100% fair. But we know, you know, for certain ones, that is definitely not true. And it and it is true that if you don't have that balance, you know, it, it, it can make it where some of these other stories aren't told. I that's the thing for me is it's like I like I don't I'm going to I'm going to put I'm going to put Isola aside because I, I think he's in his own category. Um, I there's not one part of me that thinks like Howard Beck or, or Stefan Bondi or like, you know, some of these other guys are, are bad reporters or that they, they aren't doing their job or that even that they don't want to do their job. I, I, there's literally not a part. I know a lot of Knicks fans will disagree with me on that and be like, no, they, they, they want to ride the Knicks every chance they get. Well, well, I think there is definitely some enjoyment gained from uh, deriding the team. I think they they view themselves as objective when it comes to you know any team. The the part that I can't get past, and I, I tried to like basically get Beck to say this when I had him on the pod, and I, I, you know obviously he didn't. And I and my, I 
I, I don't think any human being would say it, is I think some to some extent it's like if you're a media person and you have to cover a team that has notoriously been like the one area that you I mean we could talk up and down about things the Knicks have been good at or bad at or fair or unfair about the one thing that is unequivocal is they have not been a media friendly organization um historically I mean, that has changed a little bit this year um or maybe I guess maybe over the past 2 years but it has not been friendly so how like even like subconsciously or unconsciously or I don't I don't know what the right word is how do you parse that out just not as a reporter just as a human being like when you're seeing something happening in front of you can you disassociate that part of it from the part of you that has to decide like is this evidence of something positive or is this not yeah i think well you know again i think there's a lot that do it well and i think we're talking about you know a few of the extremes but to me the way i sort of break it down is i think there are certain media members who actively root against james dolan and there are a lot of fans that even have gotten to the point where it's just all about james dolan but in general i think the main difference is fans are rooting for the team and they want the team to win and james dolan yeah he's the owner so we're stuck with him the media wants james dolan to lose and i think the reason why there's some friction between the fans and the local media sometimes is because of that difference right where it's like how do you separate out that they they're just trying to stick it to dolan you know the new york daily news they they want the Knicks to do well because they do better business when the Knicks to do well. Yeah, and they, there's a lot of times, right? There's players on the team that they like. They're not rooting against those players. They're rooting against Dolan. And I think that's the part to me that's you know the 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 you know the distinction. It's how do you cover the team without feeling like by saying something positive about the team, you're giving credit to the person that you really don't want to, you know, just like with Trump, right? Like, let's face it, there are going to be on either side, if it was Obama or Trump, and you are Republican or Democrat, there are going to be a few occasions where there are certain particular issues that the person might have aligned with your views or might have done it right sure but you're never going to give a victory the way it works nowadays you're never going to give a victory to the other side oh you can't because you'll you'll be seen as a pariah by your by your friends and family if you say anything you know if if trump does something to i mean i (laughs) i willingly don't pay attention to politics because it's it's kind of infuriating to me but if trump did something tomorrow that i thought was good and i came out and like i don't know shared some like facebook post about it I, I I don't know. I, there would be people show up to my house with, uh, you know, uh, pitchforks and, and... Yeah, no, and I, I honestly think that's how it sort of is with some of these older guard guys where it's just like, it, you know, if they were to dare say something that makes it look like they're kind of bowing down to, to King Dolan, like, you know, they're getting messages from all their other friends that are like, I can't believe you sold out with Dolan. What did he do? Did he give you, you know, extra access or something? I mean, that, I just think it's kind of similar. And that's, that's the difference. So I think sometimes we have to remember that ourselves as fans to just be like, 
you know, yeah, they just want Dolan to fail, which who cares? We're we're not defending necessarily him. We're just saying we want the team to do well. Um, yeah, and but. and the other part of this is like, so you know, I, and I don't I don't want to step on the the conversation that I, I said at the beginning of the pod we were not going to have right now, but just as like a very very quick aside, in that you know, Mike Vorkanov came out with this Nets piece today in which he wrote. Um, literally the title of the piece I think is on the Nets journey and to back to the playoffs and, and culture. And in the piece, you know, he mentions that the Nets, uh, like I'm just throwing out something from it that's a, as an example, like the Nets have an area in their, I guess it's their practice facility or in their arena where there's like babysitters for the players, kids, you know, I guess ostensibly. So the, you know, families could feel more welcome at the game, just whatever. That's a random thing. Right. Um, like, I know, I have it on good authority, that, um, you know, that Mitch Mitch's 21st birthday party that happened uh, several weeks ago. Like, half the team came to that, and the front office came to that, and the entire coaching staff came to that, and, like, the players, you know, girlfriends and things came to that. And, like, that's not something that we saw reported anywhere. Is that not a sign of a team that is like building something where everybody wants to get together to celebrate like the birthday of, um, you know, one of their young players on an off night towards the end of a season that is going to result in 60 plus losses? Like now, of course, it's possible that no media members knew about that, which is fine. Um, But it's just like that's not something we heard anywhere. Right. So. And again, it gets back to like, well, is it because certain media people aren't digging for the story entitled, you know, the 2018-19 Knicks, how the worst team in franchise history actually began to turn it around? You know what I mean? Well, right, because they got to – that's the whole point. They got to wait, obviously, until it happens. I think that's what we all can agree on here is that until they have results on the court, you know, you're not going to get the fuzzy feel-good stories um, but I think that's, you know, just, I guess, let's put it this way. If I kind of said the, the, <laughs> you know, the, the mocking point a bit of certain writers already have it saved in their editor when the Knicks, you know, if the Knicks fail and don't get Durant, um, I guess the other way to look at it is we're, we're probably the same way, right? We're, we're wait, I am myself waiting to see if they do figure things out and if they do become a really good team you know, over the next two or three years, let's see how, you know, how does the narrative go? I mean, it, cause really it should be a story about, you know, here was a team that was, you know, dead for nothing. Woj called them a toxic organization, um, an owner that, you know, has, has proven in other spaces, right. On the business side with the Rangers that he's able to win, but never with the Knicks. And the question is, yeah, will this, will this be a story of, you know, how they all figured out and all these little things like you're mentioning now are kind of brought up or will it just be like, let's find a way to kind of give them credit without actually giving anyone in charge credit at all? Well, um, I, I could absolutely promise you, I, 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 I shouldn't say that. I would bet a, a goodly sum of money that even if they landed Durant and Kyrie or Durant and Kemba, I guess, or Durant, you know, Durant and someone else that is considered a success. Um, I do not think Scott Perry or Steve Mills, I don't know who would actually be the one that they'd be voting for, but like would get a single vote for 
executive of the year um, next year. Like I, I, I'd be shocked if if that right. Well, because again, you know, it is going to be about that. You know, it, I it is true. I doubt Durant is going to pick the Knicks because of anything other than what's in his own head, right? I do think though that there are certain barriers that used to be there that at least had to be out of the way. Precisely. Meaning, right? So I do think that's true, but I don't, to me, the credit wouldn't be that they got Durant. The credit would be, you know, are, were, are they able to build a championship roster around him because they made the pick of Mitchell Robinson and they got a player who's going to be on, you know, maybe the most he's kind of going to be the new Marcus Smart, I feel like, where everyone for a long time was like he was the best contract in the NBA for that period. Right. Yep. Like that's how Mitchell Robinson, I think, is going to become. And same thing, you know, with the uh, Trier, um, you know, hopefully with Knox. Like I think that those are the type of moves where you get executive of the year. I think, yeah, if getting Durant, um, it's good that they got the space to get him, but. You know, I, I myself can't, you know, can't give them everything of that because I think that's more just Durant making his decision. Yeah, but, but like like you said, he, he's only able, if he does make the decision, he's only going to be able to make the decision because they put themselves in a position for him to be able to make that decision. Yeah, um, no, and absolutely. I'm happy you brought up Trier because let's, uh, let's finish up on him because I, I did think it was notable um, the Berman story that came out. And uh, for anybody listening to this that hasn't listened to um, Mark Berman himself, come on the Hard Knocks, uh, Hard, excuse me, Hard Nick's Life podcast and talk about that story along with a couple other things. Um, after you finish listening to this, you should go download that because it was good. Uh, it was a good interview by, by Craig and Barry there. Um, I thought that was interesting from this perspective. and I'm, I want to get your take on it. I I read that story and I think it could go one of two ways. On one hand, you could look at it as this is a this was a coach who knew like he was building, you know, knew what the real priorities of this year were and was not going to let the pressures of like day-to-day in the locker room um get to him in in the disservice of one of his young players and allowed one of his talented rookies, Lonzo Trier, to go out on the court and be obviously selfish at times while also apparently talking to him about this issue and Berman brought up in that in that interview um, on the pod that I was just talking about that it is something that he spoke to Trier about in his exit meeting. Um, that's one side of it. And then the other side of me is like, well... You know, when we have these conversations about culture, is that the type of thing that shouldn't be happening in a head coach's first year where he should have, you know, put the uh, put the kibosh, so to speak, on that, like, the first time Alonzo Trier, like, looked off a teammate that was open, should he have, like, yanked him and, like, benched him for the rest of the game and then benched him for the next game as a way to, like, this is not how we do things in, as a New York Nick. Um, and I don't know which side I fall on that. And I don't know if there is a right answer or if there's a way to know the right answer now, but I'm I'm curious what your what your thoughts are on it. Well, you know, I think about the fact I have a six year old and a three and a half year old, and there are things that I expect my six year old to do different 
than my three and a half year old because I know they have different maturity levels. Like it's obvious, right? Like my six year old in the morning for the most part, you know, I can tell her to, you know, get dressed, you know, brush her teeth, you know, run a brush through her hair at least once and, um, you know, put her coat on shoes and we go to school. My three and a half year old, each one of those things I just listed that sounds like nothing is actually an all out war for each one. So <laughs> as, as brushing teeth is for my two and a half year old right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So therefore, there are certain things that she'll do that if Liv, uh, my oldest one, did um, in protest, you know, I would be I would be a little harder on her. And I think it's no different with the, you know, with players, um, you know, in the league or really in any Again, like I always equate like, yes, it's sports, but it, it isn't any different than any job, right? Like if you are a, you know, a bagger at a grocery store, which is w- what my first job was, your responsibilities and what you can kind of get away with are going to be different than if you are the manager there or if you are even like, you know, a senior worker there. So why would we think it's different in basketball? Like I know you know, the concept that, you know, Fisdale treats everyone the same and that has been said by some and maybe that's the part that annoys people. To me, it's like, don't say that. That's not true because that shouldn't be true. You don't treat everyone the same. If a, if you have a 19-year-old kid, he should have different expectations and responsibilities than a 25-year-old veteran. And that's just the fact and the way life works. So that doesn't upset me. And I think that criticism of, okay, maybe there were different standards for the rookies than there were for the older players. Well, yeah, of course, there should have been. I would be very concerned if there wasn't because that would tell me they're not able to evaluate you know, the different maturity levels and the different levels of trust that you can give the players. And that's all what comes into managing people, whatever line of work that you're in. Um, so to me that that's what all this speaks to more than, you know, more than anything. And, and the other part of it, which I think is really where as much as I, I'm a little, still a little uncertain of, of like, you know, was the correct, was the perfect path taken? The complicating factor of this is they, you know, if you look at where the Knicks were before, I guess I, I want to say the 2018 draft, um, Putting again, putting Porzingis aside, they were so they were so deficient on young talent, um, and they had like when Fisdale came in. I think there, to a certain extent, I'm sure there were conversations with Steve and Scott about like, okay, what do we need to fix here? What's going to be like? That's the thing. You read all of these articles about all of these other teams and their cultures. And it seems like they decided what they were going to be as a team. They decided what their priorities were going to be as a team. And the thing, I guess, that I keep coming back to with Trier and why I, I like you, I'm okay with it, is because we keep hearing he's like one of the most competitive people on the team, right? Like we heard uh, Berman say it in the in the pod to the guys like um, as something that Fisdale loves about him. We heard Mills say it when he told that little... Um, uh, the three on three story uh, about that they right. they won the five straight games. Um, he's ultra competitive, and like if I look at this year, if I think back to this this year for the Knicks, which I maybe shouldn't do for my own health, 
Um, believe it or not, the thing that I'm always going to come back to was how this losing season felt different from a lot of losing seasons in the past because they kind of, they never, they obviously sucked, but they didn't give up hardly ever. Um, like I could count the amount of times on one hand. I've, I've said this many times on this podcast this season where I really felt like they just like, they let go of the rope completely, um, you know, uh, for a game. And like, okay, so Trier is someone that embodies that ethos of like, we are going to be competitive and we're going to try our hardest. Like, I could respect that, like giving that guy a little bit more leeway. Um, as opposed, and, and I wonder, um, if some of the guys that were complaining, um, were you know maybe did not have a similar um ethos but it you know just to bring this full circle it really does speak to how difficult team building is you know um because like you have don't you have to pick and choose your spots like what well especially when you're team building with pieces that you know are gonna be part of the the build right so like yeah the knicks were essentially you know rebuilding a house where they got a giant um, dumpster out in the driveway <laughs> and they're throwing a bunch of materials into the dumpster and only keeping certain things in the house. I mean, that's what they did this year. Right? Well, hold so, on, hold on. We have to, we have to add to that analogy with the additional challenge of there were things that they probably knew from day one that were going to end up in the dumpster, but for various reasons were stuck in the house for periods for a longer period of time than probably they wanted um, uh, them to be in the house, <laughs> right? You know, which no, is an additional I, complication. Yeah, no, that's it. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, again, it's just if you have players that you know are gonna be there longer and they're younger, you're gonna treat them different than the guys that you know you're you're gonna move the the couch that you know you're keeping. You're going to be a little more careful when you rearrange the house and moving it than the one that's going out to the dumpster. You don't mind then if it, you know, gets bumped, you know, along the side when you're bringing it outside because you're throwing it out anyways. So yeah. it's kind of cold because I know we're talking about people here, but I guess I'm just saying that no, but it, it, you know, you're, you're, you're going to treat it different when you're investing in players longer term versus the ones that you know, are just kind of there for, for this one season. Yeah. And just, I, I now, am, now every time that I, I read one of these stories or think about one of these stories, I'm going to think about like the counter media narrative. So um, what I mean by that is let's say Fisdale was, was incredibly harsh on Trier this year. And like to the point that it, it basically, you know, soured him on uh, the organization. Well, guess what story would have been written eventually. It's like, uh, you know, again, Durant didn't come here. The Knicks had a, uh, a, so a young player that they knew was close to Kevin Durant, and what did they do? They, you know, did not, um, you know, endear him to the organization. Um, there's always going to be a story to be written. I think that's that's the thing <laughs> I'm going to remember from this podcast, at least. Yeah, uh, exactly. All right. Anything else we uh, we we didn't touch on, or we we pretty much? Uh... So for anybody, by the way, we probably should have said this at the beginning. Um, we're going to do, I would say maybe, you know, once a week or, or whereabouts once every 10 days, something like that. These, these pods to kind of just, um, you know, recap important events that, that have to do with the Knicks, um, as we venture into the off season. So, um, with that backdrop, is there anything we missed that we should touch on? Or are we good? No, I think, uh, I think we covered it. I mean, it's amazing. We had even that much, you know, the, the Knicks are 
as Nets fans will rightfully remind us, like we're, you know, we're kidding at them about attendance or whatnot, but that's because we're out of it, right? Yeah. Um, so for a team that's not playing and has had a bad year, it's amazing that there is so much to, to talk about. I think, um, you know, May 14th is obviously the the big date coming, so we'll uh, we'll just keep counting down the days. Although it's kind of weird. It's almost like I want it to come because I want to finally know. But uh, it's also like, well, the longer it doesn't come, the longer you still have hope of, you know, the best outcome happening. So I can't decide which uh, if I want it to hurry up and get here or if I just want it to still take its time because the hope remains. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely have plenty to talk about between now and then because we always do it the Knicks. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving, ladies and gentlemen, your New York Knicks, uh, the one and only. Um, all right, and, and final plug. I know you did it earlier, uh, but I'll do it again now. If you are listening to this and you are not subscribed to um, our newsletter, um, go subscribe to it. You could find the link to subscribe. Um, I think I did it right. Um, you, you, you texted me to do this earlier in the week, and I think I, I pulled it off. It's in my Twitter profile. If you go on the left side of the page, there's a link. Yeah, there it is, nixfilmschool.substack.com backslash subscribe. So um, you could find it there. JB, I'm sure it's probably somewhere on your Twitter page as well. Yeah, yeah, same spot. Just go to the profile, and, and you can get it there. And, um, every, you know, each day, Monday through Friday, we'll give you kind of a summary of everything that happened. And then uh, we've been doing – well, we just started this week. I shouldn't say we've been doing uh, <laughs> Ask Macri, where if you send us a thought on Twitter. Or you can actually reply to the email, and we'll get the email. So, you know, I've had people do that. Oh, okay. So if you have a, a question, just send it there and – and we'll try to answer it beyond what you know we can just do in Twitter. Uh, we can obviously have a little more length in the newsletter, but we want it to, you know, we want it to be where it's not just coming from this kind of, you know, blank account somewhere. You know, it's us sending it to you. So just you know, reach out, let us know what you think, or ask us questions, whatever, and you know, we'll keep the conversation going. And there is there's no question too ridiculous. As I turn to my right and I see my wife with a Tide pen trying to get a stain out of what appears to be an Ella princess dress. Is that what that is? Uh, Who? Elsa. 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 Okay. Were you, did, did you have one of the girls when that, when Frozen came out or did you miss that one? No, no, they were huge. And, and, and Zoe, the, the oldest was into it, but then Zoe was, is really into it where she sings every single word to every single song and if oh, wow. you mess a word up, she's going to tell you that you messed up the word. So yeah, we're we're full in Elsa. Uh, but this frozen. is this is concerning to me because I, I I'm wondering now as I'm watching my wife do this how my daughter even knows what the hell Frozen is because the movie came out several years before she was born. But I guess the Disney people they they just they figure out a way to get this stuff in the you know in the water supply. That oh yeah, and it's only going to get worse with uh, Disney Plus that they just announced. Oh um, right. well, I'm excited about that for for my own selfish uh, comic book and and Star Wars appreciation uh, reasons. But oh yeah, that it's no, it's funny because I it, it is bad. I'm such a consumer. It's like something like that comes <laughs> out, and it should be like, oh god, here they go finding another way to charge us. Where I'm just like. Please just take my yeah, money. No, I want to get take, it. <laughs> take all my no, take all my money for for that uh, based on on what we're hearing about which, it so far. Right, which they have some original. Con I know they're trying to like say they're gonna have original content, but for the most part, 
they're basically saying, we're going to give you all the stuff that you've already seen, but now you can just pay for it every single month. <laughs> and we will do it willingly because we are consumer whores. Um, but yeah, such is life. All right, JB, go enjoy what's left of your uh, Thursday night. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks. <laughs>